Now, before we proceed with this episode, I do have something important that I need to share with everybody. As you guys know, about two years ago, I did a sketch comedy show called The Going Live Show. And while I was on the show, I worked with a very talented cast and became friends with practically every cast member on the show. And one friend that I had in particular, her name was Tata Sharice. Now, if you watch the Going Live show, you know who Tata is. She was basically um, the public defender. That was her uh, main gimmick on the uh, show. That was the main character she played, and she did that quite a few times. And if you saw the um, Hood Exorcist sketch, uh, she played the mother in the sketch. Like, I played the, uh, the priest that was trying to, you know, get the demon out of her son in the sketch uh she played the mom and i played the priest going the power of christ compels you like that was me well sadly this past christmas eve uh tata sharice was carjacked at gunpoint while coming home from a comedy show now the good news is she is not hurt physically the bad news is her car was stolen and the merchandise that she sells after shows was stolen as well and she currently has a gofundme page set up to help her raise the money that she needs to get a new car and order more merch so she can you know get back to selling merch and get out there performing and what i'm gonna do is i am going to read the synopsis of her gofundme page to further illustrate what she's looking for rather than try to paraphrase it so this is on her gofundme page hey y'all so i got carjacked i'm no stranger to obstacles or overcoming tough times but what recently happened to me was something i really wasn't prepared for i was carjacked at gunpoint by two men on christmas eve coming home from a show comedy is now the majority of my income so my car was very important to me because it's how I get to most shows. Also, all of my Tata Sharice merchandise was in the trunk of my car, which is another big part of my income. I'm blessed to be alive. I do about five to 10 shows a month and I'm really grinding. I don't plan to give up at all, but I'm creating this GoFundMe to help speed things up so I can get back to doing what I love and bring joy to others. Anything that anybody can contribute would be greatly appreciated and used to go towards a car and to replace my merchandise that I sell at shows. I appreciate the support and my spirit has not been broken. Thank you for the love that people have already showed me and anything further helps. I just entered year six of my stand-up comedy career and it has been an incredible journey. I've hit amazing milestones and so far I've performed in over 200 shows nonstop, but I can't let this sit situation slow me down and as i mentioned before tata sharice is a friend of mine i've worked with her before she is hilariously funny and a tremendous talent and i am encouraging all of the Boochcast fans to donate money to tata sharice's gofundme to help her get back on her feet get back on the road and get back to doing what she does best so from now until the gofundme page is completed i am going to be putting the link to her GoFundMe page on every single Boochcast episode going forward inside the synopsis so you can use it to go there and do whatever you can to help her out. I will also be providing links on the Boochcast social media pages so you can access them there as well. So go to the link, donate what you can, and help Tata Sharice get back to bringing joy and laughter to the world. Gary Shapiro, Dana Ross, Signe Haya for the Boochcast 2023. Here goes nothing. Bring me to that place. Higher. Go. Hold on. Go. 
take me higher, take me higher. In my mind, I see the possibilities. When it comes to love, there are no boundaries. Do you think that you and I can work it out? That's what true love's about. Baby, we can find an answer if we look inside our hearts. Love will be there waiting for us. Baby, we can rise above it if we leave our doubts behind us. We can learn to fly high above us. There's a place up in the sky where the sun is shining. Take me higher. Take me higher. There's a, a place I long to be where the birds are flying. Take me higher. Take me higher. See it on the news. There's trouble everywhere. Gotta reach out to show somebody that you care. I ain't good to let the bad news get us down. Let's spread some love around. Even if you want to go there, to a place above the clouds, go to feel the power of love. Power of love. Maybe we can rise above if we leave our doubts behind, we can learn to fly high above us. There's a place up in the sky where the sun is shining. Take me higher. Take me higher. There's a place I long to be where the birds are flying. Take me higher. Take me higher. There's a place in the sky. Where the sun is shining, take me higher, take me higher. There's a place I long to be. Where the birds are flying, take me higher, take me higher. You gotta reach out, feel the power of our love. Show somebody you can't take me, oh baby, higher, take me higher. There's a place up in the sky where the sun is shining, take me higher, take me higher. There's a place I long to be when the birds are flying, take me higher, take me higher. There's a place in the sky where the sun is shining, take me higher, take me higher. The place I long to be when the birds are flying, take me higher, take me higher, take me higher, take me, take me, take me higher, take me higher, take me higher, take me, take me, take me higher, take me, take me, take me higher, take me, take me, take me higher, take me higher, take me higher, take me, take me, take me higher, take me higher. There's a place up in the sky where the sun is shining. Take me higher, take me higher. There's a place I long to be. I want to go flying. Take me higher. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Take me. Take me now. Someone's got to take me higher. Woo! Woo! Vinny Bucci, the Bucci cast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Donna Ross. She's the queen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Take me higher, Donna Ross. Woo! Donna Ross. Take me higher. Woo! Derek Shapiro, 2023. Take me higher. Take me. Now. 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 
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special treat for you guys. We are jumping into the classic pay-per-view reviews, but before we commence with this pay-per-view review, uh, Mr. Bucci Reddy got something to get off his chest, and some of you probably heard the intro song that we played for this. Um... I'm sure it made your ears bleed. I'm sure it upset a lot of you. It brought a smile to my face, but I'm sure it upset a lot of you. And you're probably thinking to yourselves, Booch, why? Oh, why? For the love of Leonard Skinner, why would you play this song? Why <laughs> would you subject us to the singing of Mr. Derek Shapiro? Well, children, especially the fucking children, I got an answer for you. <laughs> Good question. It deserves an answer. Now, a while back, we did a pay-per-view review called Super Brawl 6. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with our Super Brawl recaps, here's how they work. I usually put one out a year, and I put it out the week of the Super Bowl, Monday after the Super Bowl. And whatever year that Super Brawl was, in this case, 1996, I play the halftime song from the Super Bowl of that year. And that becomes the intro. Well, in 1996, the performer of the halftime show was none other than the lovely Supreme herself, Diana Ross. And she still fucking sucks. She played Take Me Higher. So, I played still Take sucks. Me Higher. Now, Mr. Gator Ricky Ross, as you can see, was not a fan of Diana Ross, apparently. Told me no, this the song. The song sounded like I was being stabbed in the ears. Yes. Which is also what happens when Derek Shapiro sings, but it's whatever. By the way, side note, Mr. Bugirelli hates the future of wrestling. I didn't before, but I sure as shit do now. Now, originally, I told Gator to not disrespect Diana Ross. He chose not to listen to me. His exact words, and I quote, Mr. Bugirelli, this song sucked. Diana Ross is awful. I would rather listen to Derek Shapiro than Diana Ross. So I said, just for that, yeah. we're going to listen to Derek Shapiro. And he goes, no, Mr. Bugirelli, no. Don't play the Derek Shapiro. Don't play the shitty. I said, Gator, one last chance. Apologize to the queen. He refused to apologize to Diana Ross. And therefore, nope. I said, you asked for it. So I called Derek Shapiro. He sent me a song of him singing, Take Me Higher. He was more than welcome to do it. He admitted it was not his best singing. And I said, Derek, it wasn't required to be. So I take the video and I play it. Now, originally, I was going to apologize to the children. I was going to apologize to you all. I didn't want to put you all through this. But then, when we were supposed to record this recap a while ago, Gator has to cancel on me because you beta motherfuckers decide you want to have a pajama party fucking movie night when we were supposed hey, to record. Hey, hey, hey. You know, we're going to get together with our popcorn and our soda pop and our onesie pajamas because we all want to be Wendy Chu and watch some fucking whatever the fuck on TV. Whoa. Whoa. So. Whoa. I'm offended. I don't give a I'm fuck. I'm not even Gator right now. I'm just offended. I'm offended I that you would hold on time out you just compared my children to a woman who dresses up in pajamas and wrestles I'm that pissed off in fact I'll even take it a step further you know what children I have another message see a while back I used to tell Gator you know what Gator it's modern times it's a beginner class so you should be lenient with the children and, ex and understand that they don't know everything so stretching's not always the answer I'm starting to think stretching's the answer now no 
Do not stretch my children. I'm not stretching them. I'm saying I've been lenient. I know you have because I've educated you on thinking that, but I'm starting to think maybe I was wrong because it's for goddamn what? ridiculous how many times Gator has to cancel on me because some of you all either show up unexpectedly, some of you show your whole ass, and Gator has to play peacemaker because some of y'all don't know how to fucking behave in a fucking wrestling school. You know how much times Gator's had to cancel on True. me because you guys don't have your shit together? It's frustrating. Yes. Yes, just like right now. I got to go to the rest. Yeah, like we have, we, we had to do our recap early because he's got to go back there again. So yeah, Mr. Bucciarelli kind of pissed. And since this is a Mayhem pay-per-view, he felt like unleashing Mayhem before we get into this review. So yeah, Vinny kind of pissed, but he got it all off his chest. Okay, well, now ladies and gentlemen, now that I got that off my chest and I feel a lot better right now, we will now commence with this week's classic pay-per-view review. Now how this works, ladies and gentlemen, is myself and Gator Ricky Ross look at classic wrestling pay-per-views from WWE, WCW, and ECW. And we look at them from the perspective of not just two people who are fans, of professional wrestling, but also from the perspective of two people who work in the business. Gator is, of course, a wrestler, a manager. He's been a referee. He's done announcing, commentary. He's popped the popcorn. He's done booking. He's ran a wrestling school. He's pretty much got the industry covered. I, myself, am an announcer, a commentator. I've been a manager in and out of the ring. I've chauffeured wrestlers to and from shows. I've done street team shit that I pray to God I never have to fucking do again. I have also popped the popcorn. Popcorn. I pretty much have the industry covered as well. And this week, the pay-per-view we are going to be reviewing is WCW Mayhem 2000. The children were asking for more 2000 WCW pay-per-views, as we mentioned before. So we decided we're going to give you one. Um, if Gator watches a few more and brings them to my attention, we'll do some others. But Not happening. But for now, we have this Mayhem 2000, which took place at the U.S. Cellular Arena in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on November 26th. 2000. There were 3,800 fans in attendance, and the tagline was, The Genetic Freak of Sports Entertainment Unleashed. Okay, I'm going to have something to say about that in a minute. But um, we have the commentators were Tony Schiavone, Mark Madden, God help us all, and Stevie Ray. They were the commentators. The interviews we had were Gene Okerlund and Pamela Paulshock. We had Scott Armstrong, great guy, Mickey J, Mark Johnson, Charles Robinson, and Billy Silverman, and Jamie Tucker's The Referees. And, of course, our ring announcers were David Penzer and Michael Buffer. So now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to start off with our first official match of the evening. For the WCW Cruiserweight title, Mike Sanders defends the title against Kiwi with Paisley. The man that tried to fight Bujarelli, when we know this because we have video evidence. Okay, we open upon what looked like a ball field. There, in his NWO shirt, talking shit to Kiwi, a.k.a. Alan Funk is Mr. Bujarelli. He called him a fat fuck. And then Mr. Bujarelli got up and was like, you want, motherfucker? And then, yes, that was the entire video. That's not me, you told. And then come to find out the guy that was was a fucking kitty toucher. So fuck him. Yes, thank you for reminding everybody what happened in the video and what happened between me and Alan Funk at the flea market two years ago. Okay? We're past it. We've all made peace. Everything is cool between me and Alan Funk and Yes, he does know that the kitty toucher was the co-host and we don't know what's going on with him, but hopefully he is rotting in hell somewhere. Now, that being said, can we get to the match, please? 
Yes, Sanders gets knocked to the floor in frustration. So here are the thrillers for a cheap shot. Stevie does not understand how the referee doesn't care that Kiwi was laid out. And then Sanders was in front of the referee's eyes. We get the double beal into a power slam from Sanders. Sweet spot. Here's Ming by Paisley. Ming Afro wig to go after the thrillers who can't beat him down because Ming will never, ever, ever, ever be brought down. He's still standing. Ric Flair comes out, says, no, you can't do that shit. Kiwi tries a sunset flip bomb over the top. Uh, there's a Hurricane Rana for a counter. Paisley slaps Mike in the face. So he rips off her afro, earning himself a, a handspring elbow and not a DQ for no logical reason. The referee sends her out, allows Mike to get in the 3.0, Orton's backbreaker, to retain. Way too much going on. Uh, what else are you supposed to do here when you have a match that no one is interested in and two guys who aren't the best workers in the first place? Trust me, Mr. Bucciarelli said that shit to Huiwi. <laughs> Sanders is a fine talker, but he killed that title worse than anyone I've seen in a long time. Kind of like Mr. Bujuelli did Kiwi's entire career. Um, <laughs> just bad in general here, and not a great way to fire up the crowd. Ta-da. Yes. Um, well, let me just say that despite everything that went down between me and Kiwi, like I said, we're all good now, but despite all of that and despite me not really knowing who he is or really remembering who he was because by the time all this happened, I had pretty much checked out of WCW and was watching WWE full-time. I had already jumped ship. So despite all of that, I can honestly say after watching this match, Kiwi's not that bad a worker. He's actually pretty good. I liked him in this match. So, now, of course, Mike Sanders says, I don't even know who you are anymore. You're coming out here dressed in pretty and pink. Let me show you how we handle our biatches. And then Mike backhands Allen. You know what's funny? What? I don't know who you are anymore is the same thing you said to Kiwi. I don't know who the hell you are. I mean, and I wasn't even saying that in a bad way. Like, he isn't relevant. It's just like, I don't know you. <laughs> Mr. Bujarelli, stop lying. He's not relevant. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then Mike's, which is ironic is I think in that thing where, where Alan and Buff are going off each other, I think Mike Sanders was on that podcast with Alan Funk. I think Buff said one time he had his wife saved in his phone as Molly the fucking ring rat, which I thought was fucking hilarious at the time. But what I will say, and I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying that that's what happened. It was on the podcast. Uh, so anyway, uh, Mike uh, and the Natural Born Throws, when they come out, they catapult him into the ring, they Allen into the ring, and Mike hits a power slam, which I thought was impressive. Um, at one point, uh, Ric Flair has security come out to square everybody from ringside. I hated this because there was no focus on the match in the ring. At this point, we can no longer see what's happening in the ring. The whole focus is on Ric Flair trying to get these fuckers out of here. I'm not here to see the thrillers. I'm here to see the Cruiserweight title match. I don't need to see what's going on out here. Unless Flair and the Natural Born Thrillers are going to trade shots back and forth, I don't need to watch this crap. Let's focus on the match and get the fuckers out of here. Okay? Simple as that. I don't give a shit. I'm here to watch the title match. Now, Mark Madden at one point compares Mike Sanders to Ric Flair. I immediately wrote in parentheses, no wonder Gator hates him. <laughs> I didn't like Mark Madden, but now I'm really starting not to like this guy because Jesus Christ, how did he get a job? Um, Allen hit a sunset flip for a two count, which I thought was impressive the way he went about it. Uh, Stevie tells Mark, if you don't know your holds, please don't comment. And I said, I'm wondering, was that a shoot or was that a work? Are they was that are they working when they're doing that, that or was that really been, a shoot? That might have been a shoot. Yeah. And then Mark says, the only reason you know the holds is because you've had all of them put on you. And Stevie says, I've been a wrestler for 12 years, so yeah. 
Yeah. Then they started talking about the um, Shinamachi or whatever the fuck that move is. I've never heard of it. Um, I never heard of that word. It was weird. And they said, well, it rhymes with riding my brother's coattails. And all I'm thinking is, why is Mark trying to get himself killed? Like, again, unless you and Stevie went over this in the back, you know he's going to rip your throat out if you keep fucking with him. I'm not it's messing okay, with Mr. Padrino, stop. It's okay. It's okay. Riding your brother's coattails or riding your co-host's coattails. It's the same thing. You understand. Yes. You seem to enjoy it a lot. Now, Paisley slapped you fuck you. Paisley slapped him in front of the ref, and then they put the wig on Mike and Alan knocks him in the corner where Paisley does in the, the yak attack, which they're now calling that handspring into the corner. They're saying yak attack, whatever the fuck that means. Um, at one point, Mark screams, that's a DQ. I went, finally something we agree on. That's the only thing Mark Madden said that I agree on. Maybe a few others I can't remember, but that was one thing where I'm like, yeah, you're blatantly in front of the referee. What the fuck? I mean, am I watching WCW or am I watching an episode of Dynamite? What the fuck is this shit? More more on that later. And then Mark has a 3.0, which I'm sorry, that's a shitty finisher, and that was an even shittier finish to this match. The finish was crap. The only thing I enjoyed in this match was Kiwi, because like I said, this is the first time I ever saw outside of the shows that I worked with him on back in the day. This is the first I've ever actually sat down and watched Kiwi work in a wrestling ring outside of the indie shows I did, but I don't remember the match very well, so I can't really critique that. But here, I'm impressed. Kiwi can work, you know? Am I a fan of the gimmick? Not necessarily. Necessarily, but as a worker, props to him. Mike Sanders, not so much. Not a fan. Uh, and this was 7 minutes and 50 seconds. Oh, our lives, we can't get back. Yes. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. Fuck my life. It's a triple threat tag team match. We've got three counts versus Evan Courageous and Jamie Noble versus the Jung Dragons with Leah Meow. Meow. Did I hear three count? Yes, that three count is in this match. That means it's time for us to sing along with three count. What the fuck? this so much <laughs> here we go with three count okay okay what can we get to the match now please oh yes children it's time for three count this was a spot fest no shit. that's all this entire match was it was a horrible god forsaken awful spot fest here's your match of the night though wasn't even all that great okay wcw clearly wants these guys to be their edging christian their deadlies their heart but instead of elevating them these six guys in an eternal hamster wheel of having the best matches on the show, but going nowhere. The however, do suggest that three count deserve a tag team title shot. They do, but of course, that would never happen. Okay, well, I'm going to say this right now. If you are listening to this review, if you're one of those people who loves AEW, if you're one of those people that mm -hmm. thinks AEW can do no wrong, 
if you're one of these people that thinks that unnecessary high spots and no psychology and multiple people in a ring doing stunts and goofy shit, if you honestly think this is wrestling, then you will love this match with all your heart and soul. I literally felt like I was watching an AEW match with this. No bullshit. This was an AEW style match, and I think that's why I hated it so goddamn much. The only thing interesting in this whole entire match was Leia Meow and her outfit. That's all I cared about in this whole match was her. I was too busy watching her yes. to give a single fuck what was going on in that ring. I would rather Mr. see Mr. her Mr. Mr. take Mr. her clothes off than see a single wrestling move done by any of these fucks. And now, of course, three count, they cut the opening promo in this match. Fucking kill me. Like, Evans and his cackalacky with his teeny no. boppers, his stick shift was just too small. Then they start doing a lame lip sync, and then the Jun Dragons come out. So that was fucking lame. You, know, you don't know what's weird about this, though, right? What? So before this, we get the whole Evan Courageous, Jamie Noble, I fucked your sister bit. Yeah, that was even dumber. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't say three count isn't the best thing of the 2000s. I can and I am. So Shannon does a flip over the top rope onto Kaz. This was the only believable high spot in the whole damn match. The only one that made any logical sense. Uh, Jamie ran to broke Kaz's fall when he did the corkscrew off the apron. Uh, props to Jamie for keeping him safe, but it's still looked fake. Leia takes off her boots, sexy as hell, climbs up top, takes them all out with a splash. Fakest moment of the whole match. Clearly they had to fall because she wasn't heavy enough to take them out and made the rest of the match unwatchable. You literally watch them catch her and then fall on their own. They have to do a, a Pratt fall like you see in a stage combat class in a drama school because there's no way this girl is physically able to take all of them out. She's not tall enough. She's not heavy enough. She's not none of that. Jamie pulls out a ladder. Why? There is no reason Wrestling. whatsoever for there to be a fucking ladder in this match. So again, I'm watching an AEW show because they're also the ones that are dumb enough to pull a ladder out when there's no reason for a goddamn ladder. None. Two pins go on at the same time. The ref is delayed on counting them and Shane kicks out too late. Should have been a three count right there. Wait a minute. Did you just say three count? Don't you fucking start with me. Should have been the win right there. Stevie says, right, is for three count. Here we go with three count. Stevie says the ref has lost control of the match. Damn right he has. Stevie is clearly disgusted by this, and Tony is trying to get the match over. So I will say this. Tony Schiavone is the true definition of a professional, ladies and gentlemen. He is the ultimate definition of a professional. Because I've said this before with commentators. Even if you don't give a shit about the match in that ring, your job is to make the audience care. You have to get the match Correct. over, even if it sucks. See, Gator and I are analysts. We didn't work for WCW. Yes, but we had a conversation a couple days ago, didn't we? Yes, and I'm reminding the audience. It was a couple days ago at the time that we're recording this, but at the time this comes out, it's been months since the last one, so I'm giving people a refresher course. So, the commentator is not allowed to say the match sucks. We as the fans, and Gator and I as analysts, we're allowed to say, fuck, this is fucking stupid. We're allowed to say this is fucking stupid. But the commentator who's working the show is not allowed to do that. His job is to get the match over, no matter how shitty it is. 
So Stevie, not able to do that. Tony, still trying his best to get it over. So Tony is being a total professional. Stevie, not so much. But I can't really blame him because I'm surprised he hasn't killed Mark Madden. And then Shane and Shannon hit an airplane spinning neckbreaker combo for the win. It was a decent move, I guess, but not really exciting. Like we said, this was a dumbass spot fest. Perfect for the AEW crowd, but if you actually love and respect professional wrestling, you hate this match with every fiber of your being. And I do, and I do. So, on that note, we are going to move on to the next match of the evening. I can't wait for Gary to talk about this one. We have Jimmy Hart versus Man Cow with Al Roker Jr., Freak, Jim Jesus, and Turd the Bartender. This was a cluster. This was like watching two kids with Down Syndrome try to fuck. This was like watching the retard kid that likes chocolate milk try to use a fork. This was like a kid with Tourette's trying to recite 1st Corinthian 1323 without saying the word fuck. <laughs> you do realize that, right? Like, this was supposed to be kind of like a manager's match, and it was not. It was a waste of our time. Now, for those of you who may not know, and I didn't know this either, uh, Man Cow is a radio personality. Uh, he was the host of a show called Man Cow's Morning Madhouse. It was also called the Mad Cow Radio Experience or simply the Man Cow Show. And the guy's name is Eric Muller, and his nickname was Man Cow. And he basically was, he was one of the top morning shows in the Chicago media market from the mid-1990s to the mid-2000s. So he was a big deal in radio for a period of time. He earned airtime in various <laughs> across America via syndication. The show was last broadcast exclusively on WLUP-FM 97.9 The Loop. So he'd been in, you know, radio for a very long time. He's a bit of a conservative radio host. Um, he did have some issues with the FCC, and he had a bunch of, um, you know, funny segments, funny shows that he did, and was also a huge wrestling fan, thus being involved in this segment. Now, Ric Flair announces that this is a non-sanctioned match. Which is why Mancow has all his guys out with him. Because earlier in the show, Ric Flair was being interviewed. And he made an announcement that no more wrestlers can be allowed at ringside unless they are in the match. And the exceptions are managers and valets. Because obviously, if you have a manager's license or a valet license, you are allowed to remain at ringside. We've talked about that in the past. Yeah, I think it was the because I think it was the WrestleMania 14 recap that we did where we mentioned that uh, Howard Finkel mentioned that when Jim Cornette was at ringside, I can't remember who he was managing, but they said Mr. Cornette has a managerial license. He is allowed to remain at ringside. So he's all smiling. He said, however, the rest of Cornette's faction had to leave. So they they kicked everybody else out of ringside, but Cornette as a manager was allowed to remain there because he had a managerial license. So if you have a manager or a valet license, you can be at ringside for these matches. But if you're not, then you can no longer be at ringside. Now, like I said, because it was a non-sanctioned match, Man Cow had all his guys out there. Now, he said while interviewing Goldberg about his new book, Jimmy Hart started talking crap about Man Cow. And now it's going to end tonight. He calls Madden a fat son of a bitch and a Brian Wilson lookalike and a fat tub of spit. <laughs> Which I loved every second of that. Overly fed, just like Brian Wilson did. So, he calls out Jimmy 
to meet his destiny. Jimmy comes out and apologizes to Man Cow. He's got a cast on. He says, give me two more weeks. I'll get in the ring with you. He sticks out his hand. Man Cow spits on it and says, you're like Al Gore. You don't know when to say goodbye. I'm George W. Bush, and I've already <gasps> kicked your ass. You pathetic little son of a bitch. These people came here tonight to see a fight, and I'm going to give it to them. I might even kick you right in your chad. Again, making a Bush-Gore reference to the election. Then he turns around, and Jimmy hits him with the crush to start the match. Now, apparently it was freaking Turd who double clotheslined Jimmy. I don't know who half these fucking... I know their names, but I don't know who's who because I didn't follow Man Cow in 2000. I didn't even follow much of radio. So, after uh, they double-teamed Jimmy, I hate the fact I'm about to say this. You're yeah. still in high school at this point, right? Yeah, I was either in high school or just about to graduate middle school. Um, So then, yeah. Three Count comes out and drop kicks those guys out of the ring. Mm-hmm. Then... They stop Mad Cow, who no-sells them, which is already a problem here. So, basically... This was not wrestling. Yeah, he basically is no-selling the stomps. Jimmy then low-blows and stomps on him, and he looks pissed, and I think he shoot pissed. Am I not mistaken? Uh, that would be accurate. Because I'm thinking, like, and I think he's mad because he's no-selling three-count, which, and Gator and I have discussed this, even though there were details he left out, um, that you're not supposed to be stronger than a wrestler. Once they kicked him, he should have let go. Now, with Jimmy, it's different because managers, if you're a regular person, you can knock around a manager. Managers have a different mindset, but wrestlers are supposed to be the strongest people in the ring, even if they look like pussies. Man Cow hits him with a crutch and then takes off Jimmy's cast. He puts the cast on his hand, clotheslines him with it, gets the one, two, three, and then kicks him out of the ring. And Man Cow celebrates with his group and the crowd cheers because Jimmy Hart was a good enough heel at the time that he got Man Cow over. And this was basically one minute and 38 seconds. Of our lives, we can't get back. I'm... And then the other match before was 10 minutes and 53 seconds. Of our lives, we can't get back. So overall, I liked it for what it was. It was, I knew it was not going to be an actual match going in. Um, aside from Man Cow no selling three count, I enjoyed it for what it was. It was a fight. I liked the promo. I enjoyed it for what it was. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We have for the WCW Hardcore Championships. Still can't believe I'm saying those words together in a sentence. Crowbar defends the title against Big Vito and Reno. I have one word. Well, it's actually two words. You ready for this? I'm ready. Say it with me, children. Lazy booking. Yes. This was nothing special, you know? The thing is, with WCW's hardcore title, they're trying to tell this story between Reno and Vito because they're brothers or some shit, I guess. Is that the case here? No, I think one of them's dating the other's sister or something. I think they're brothers, but they're both fucking their sister. I don't know. That doesn't sound very Italian. No, it sounds like something else, but I'm going to be nice, okay? Roll Tide. <laughs> okay. Well, yes. So, anyway, um, the challenger starts slugging Roll out until Crowbar shows up with weapons and clocks Reno with the trash can lid before turning into a super kick from Vito. Vito hits everybody. Okay, with- I looked it up. They started as brothers. And then Reno was fucking Ito's sister, who was also his sister. So it was sweet home Alabama. Dear God. So, Vito hits everybody with a title out on the floor before they go back to the ring. Now, Vito pulls out a traffic cone and the baseball bat. And Mark calls it the Italian enema. Um, hey, dumbass. It was aimed at his crotch. 
And Enema an goes the other way, you dumb fat fuck. And by the way, everybody knows an Italian enema is not that. An Italian enema is when you get an ice pick to the booty hole. Duh. Yeah. Now, Crowbar Duh. one point to German suplex, and Mark Madden says, a wrestling move in a hardcore match? How does he get away with that crap? And this is when I was starting to throw things. Because uh, they're in a wrestling ring, you dumb fat fuck. That's why. You can still do wrestling moves in a hardcore match. Wrestling. Now, Reno and Crowbar double-team veto, but look disorganized for a moment before doing a double face slam onto the trash can. So this match already looks bad. The match finally spills into the backstage area, which is the only thing that made this interesting, where Reno hits a power slam through the table on Vito. Marie tries to stop him from finishing Vito off, and then Reno turns around, and Crowbar hits a chair onto Reno's chair, which knocks him out for the win. So, stupid finish that made no sense disorganization in the ring shitty commentary from Mark Madden this was an epic disappointment on multiple levels I know a little bit about Crowbar because I saw an interview that he did on the Glorious House of Gains podcast so Crowbar seems like a cool dude who knows what he's doing correct Big Vito I've seen him work a couple times so I like to think he knows what he's doing but Reno looks like a he's about as lost as an illegal immigrant at a vote for Trump rally he doesn't have a shit and clue what he's doing in that fucking well, ring well it's okay he's about as lost as a kid with Tourette's attempting to baptize his child and of course this match was seven minutes and 50 seconds of our lives we can't get back and on that note we're going to move on to the next match of the evening this is a handicap match we got chronic and alex wright with disco inferno versus the filthy animals with tigress so okay can you explain something to me sure so the disco inferno had chronic for seven and a half minutes yes why i don't understand this premise I mean, I mean, I understand it, but it doesn't make sense to me as a worker. Okay. How else did you feel about the match? It was a clusterfuck. And the funny thing is, I love the Disco Inferno, even though he, he's friends with people I don't care for. Shitstein. Yeah. And he should be castrated for his involvement in being a part of Shitstein. Yes, I'm aware. But he is entertaining. Yes. As a gimmick, he's entertaining. Yes, he is. But the thing I don't understand is, what is going on here? Okay. So, this is a three-on-two handicap match with Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio. But then it turns into two-on-one handicap. Injured. It's so confusing. I'm trying to unconfuse it for you, unless you have some other thoughts on this match you want to share. Oh, no, I want the children to be as confused as I am. Because here's the thing with wrestling. Wrestling is supposed to elicit an emotion, correct? Last I checked. Yes. You know what the emotion here is? What's that? Confusion. Okay. Well, this is a three-on-two handicap match with Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio Jr. since Conan is injured. Apparently, it's a kayfabe. Um, but my question is, why is Disco ringside? Last I checked, he's not a manager. He has a license. He has a license? He has a license. Okay. And also, let me just say, Alex Wright looks weird as fuck bald. Who thought it was a genius idea to shave his fucking head? Alex Wright looks terrible bald. That was the worst booking decision ever. If he did it to himself, he's a fucking idiot. Any sex appeal he had, he lost the second that hair came off his head. Bald does not work for him. He's not there for sex appeal. He's there for the German viewers to make them happy. He's yeah. blitzkrieging his way into the WCW. What a bunch of shiza. So anyway, Brian Adams tries oh. to do a gorilla press, but Kidman wait, breaks... Wait, 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 wait. What did you just say? I said, what a bunch of shiza. What does that mean? Shit. Is that, that's Jewish? No, it's German. Oh. That's German for shit. Oh, yes. 
Yes, yes. Now, in the match, Brian Adams tries to do Gorilla Press to Kidman, but Kidman rakes the oh, yeah. eyes, which I thought was a great counter. I like that. I've never seen people counter with that move often. Now, there's a stopwatch on Chronic and Alex Corner because they're checking it because they want to make sure they don't go past 7 minutes and 30 seconds. Otherwise, they leave the ring. And the reason was because they were only paid for that length of time. Basically, Chronic were hired guns to go out there and work with Alex in this match. But with the amount of money that, th that they gave him, it was only good for 7 minutes and 30 seconds. So they said, when this watch reaches 7 minutes and 30 seconds, we're walking out of here because that's all we're doing for this amount of money. So you, if you want us here the whole time, end this match within 7 minutes and 30 seconds. And I thought it was good storytelling to have the stopwatch out there. That was good. So it's like that way they can time it themselves so they're not having to worry about someone whispering in their ear or having to signal them. They got a stopwatch right there. They keep an eye on that bitch and be ready to leave. Now, Alex tags himself in, to which I reply, why? You only got your badass partners for a limited time. Psychology-wise, if I got somebody for 7 minutes and 30 seconds, I'm letting them wrestle the whole time. That way, if God forbid they have to leave, my opponents are weak, I'm fresh, and I can whoop ass. But apparently, when Alex Wright shaved his head, it took off a portion of his brain, and that's why he did this stupid shit. Now, Chronic leaves after the time expires, and now it's a handicap match with Alex Wright versus Kidman and Ray. Perfect way to explain the loss. I love that. Because now wait a, minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So are you upset? No. Okay. Because they told their story they were telling. The story they were telling had logic throughout. That's why I'm not mad. It made sense. They didn't stay till the very end. They didn't stay till the go home. When that clock said 730, like you're upset. bam, they walk off. I'm not mad. It seems like you're upset, Mr. Boudreaux. Mr. Boudreaux, I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. Well, I wish you would stop pushing me towards it. Now, Kidman and Ray do great double team moves, which I love because I forgot how great of a tag team they were. Like, Kidman and Ray were amazing as a tag team. They really were. Like, these guys had great chemistry and definitely were deserving of being tag team champions when they were. I wish they could have worked together more in WWE before Kidman ultimately retired. But I forgot how great of a tag team they were because I haven't seen them in so long. They were great. Now, they won with the Nutcracker, which was a variation of the Dudley's was up headbutt when they go, was up and jump off. But instead of doing a headbutt, it's a leg drop. And that was the finish they did for the one, two, three. So the finish might have been a little meh, but overall, I enjoyed the match and the story they were telling. And also, before we move on to anything else, we do have to give a quick shout out here to Rey Mysterio for his induction into the WWE Hall of Fame. So shout out to Rey getting into the Hall of yes, Fame. Yes, we're so proud. And this match was seven minutes and 46 seconds. Not doing it. That's fine. You don't have to. Uh, on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening here. We've got Shane. Shane Douglas with Tori Wilson versus Ernest you know, Miller with Miss Jones. You know, I'm contemplating everything you've ever said, Mr. Boudrilli. Okay. Now I see the truth, you know? Okay. I got a doubt, a different motive, you know, in my eyes. Okay. And now I'm out. See you later. I see the fantasy, you know? Especially with Tori Wilson in the ring. It is a fantasy. Yes. And then, you know, it's made a reality because it was paved in gold. Okay, that's great. Can we talk about the match now? I'm talking about the match, you see, inside of our heads. Because you and I are on the same page, right? I, I think so. Yes, we are. And now that that's over, I see the motive inside. 
decisions to hide. Okay, you can stop now. Back off. Okay. Gator. I'll take you on. Gator, stop quoting song lyrics and talk about the fucking match. This match was not terrible, okay? The storyline in this was really good. Ernest Miller, even though I do not care for him, shined in this, did he not? Yes. Yes. Now, Mean Gene earlier flirted with Miss Jones, and Kat threatened him, and Gene didn't back down, which I gotta say this. Gene fucking Okerlund, he's not gonna back down. Well, that's what I love, because so many interviewers today are like submissive puppies when the wrestlers yell at them, and Mean Gene was like, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna give her some vitamin Gene. I don't give a fuck. You know, I love that. (laughs) Mean Gene don't give a fuck. Like, I love that. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? What? It's him and Mrs. Mrs. Jones. We got a thing going on. We know that it's wrong to get this vitamin G. (laughs) Okay, that was funny. That was great. It's much too strong. Mr. Bujibelli, stop quoting songs. Anyway. Yeah, so Shane comes out first and says, Now, Milwaukee, I've had the misfortune of sitting in the back tonight, ready to puke my guts out, as I listen to the cat tell the world he's going to kick my ass all over this building. Well, let me let him in on a little secret. First of all, Milwaukee, what you're looking at is twisted steel and sex appeal. Zach Russian's in the building? Uh, The first couple of sports entertainment. Again, still trying to process that WCW is using the word sports entertainment. I'm like, what the fuck? You know what's funny to me? That's not the first couple. Where's Francine? Exactly. He goes, I don't lay down for any cat. And the list of people who said they're going to kick my ass is a long, long list. And tonight you'll find out how you'll be part of that list, cat. Come on down and get your ass franchised. Cat comes out and wow. says, franchise, let me tell you something. I didn't come here tonight just to kick your ass, but since you twisted steel and sex appeal, I'm going to twist your ass all over Milwaukee. He runs in, and the match starts. Now, Cat slides to the ring, pops up, and starts hitting lefts and rights, and then a series of karate kicks. Let me just say right here, I love that someone who slid into the ring finally gets offense first. I can't recall seeing that in a match ever. Usually whenever somebody slides into the ring, they usually get beat on and beat on and beat on and beat on, and then they gotta fight out from underneath. Cat just slides in and goes, fuck that, boom, 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 boom. I love that. It was something different. He's still stiffer than a wedding dick, but it's okay. Now, Shane falls out of the ring, grabs Miss Jones by the hair, and she kicks him in the face. Now, the reason I consider this kick to be believable and logical is because the bitch is wearing heels. That shit hurts. If a woman kicks you with high heels on, you're done. That's going to hurt like a bitch. because heels hurt like a bitch. Now, at one point, the cat chokes Mark Madden. That's the highlight of this whole entire match. That was the highlight, to see Mark Madden getting choked out to where he's lying in bed just like Brian Wilson did. Now, Tori grabs Kat's leg, and he kicks her off. Love the guys don't take any shit. I love that. It's like, bitch, get the fuck off of me. See? Believable shit. Not like, oh, the girl grabbed me, so I gotta take a bump. No, you don't. Just fucking kick her off. Shane still suplexes him back into the ring. Makes sense. Mark Madden gas and speaks raspy throughout the match, which, of course, begs the question, is he overselling? Yes. Okay, Mark was biased against Kat throughout the rest of the match. 
Now, in this case, it is perfectly acceptable for him to do so. Now, the rest of the night, he's biased as fuck, which is not how he's supposed to run the show, okay? But if a wrestler puts their hands on you, you're allowed to say how much you hate that guy throughout the rest of the match. Because, again, that's logical. Because there's a line you don't cross, the wrestler crossed it, so the announcer has a right to talk shit at that point. But the rest of the night, he needs to just fucking be a goddamn commentator. You know what? Mark Madden looked thirsty. Yes. Uh, I love it when Cat puts his dance moves into his shots. I love that. Cat hits the feliner but doesn't make the cover right that. away until Miss Jones pushes him onto Shane, but he kicks out. Tori grabs Miss Jones by the hair and they have a cat fight. Jones chokes her out. Come on! Shane gets a chain from his tights and hits him with it before sliding it to Tori. Cat gets his foot on the rope. Brilliant way to stop the count. See? That's how you stop a count like that. He doesn't just kick out like it didn't really hurt him. Puts a foot on the rope. Shane hit the DDT, but Cat holds onto the rope to block it. Great psychology. Love that. Wish more wrestlers did that. Miss Jones puts the red shoe on Cat. Toy tries to toss Shane the chain, but he overthrows it. The ref's distracted because he sees it flying away. Cat kicks him in the face with a loaded shoe. Gets the win. Cat and Jones celebrate in the ring. Great finish. Loved it. It was timed perfectly. Everyone did logically what the fuck they're supposed to do. I I thought this was a very well done match by two guys yes, wrestling and it was eight minutes long exactly eight minutes and on that note we are going to move on, on to the next match of the evening we have bam bam bigelow versus sergeant awol why well bam bam bigelow claims that since mike Austin went to the hospital he should be declared the winner by forfeit wcw ceo rick flair comes out and says ten thousand people paid to see you wrestle tonight and this is a wcw pay-per-view i have a sneaky suspicion that maybe you were involved with mike awesome's attack so because i don't want you to go home without earning your money tonight and i don't want the fans to go home without seeing you wrestle i got a surprise and a match for you big man Woo! and out comes sergeant awol with a table that's why okay sergeant awol is the drizzling shits this is what happens when you go to wrestling school for six months and they put you on television. Not yeah. wrong. Why? Just why? Well, AWOL went for a side suplex and Bam Bam reversed into a crossbody for a two count, which is a great counter. Now, apparently Bam Bam actually broke AWOL into the business. So I think that's why they picked him as his opponent, which is why I think it was the perfect opponent for this match. And I love there was storytelling involved in this decision. I like that. I like they didn't just grab some random schmuck and go go out to the ring. It's like, no. So if, if AWOL is the drizzling shits, I guess Bam Bam's to blame because he broke him in. I mean, I assume that's the protocol. Yes. Now, AWOL's got a dragon hold and does a series of heart punches, and Bam drops to the floor. That was not a dragon hold. It looked like one. It was a sorry excuse of one. Now, Mark does that whole shot through the heart, and he's to blame. I'm like, demon, dear God. Fuck no. No, Mark. No. And that's the only reason that reference was even remotely funny. And then, yes, he gives commentary a bad name. He does. AWOL tries to choke slam uh, Bam through the table, but Bam counters, hits the greetings from Asbury Park for the win. Um, I thought it was a good finish, and it would have been better if he put him through the table, though. That's the only thing I didn't like. Okay, I could understand that. Because the table's already in the ring, so you should use it. At that point, you might as well. I mean, fuck the rules at this point. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Because the table's already there. You might as well. Now, after the match, Bam passes out. And at the time, obviously we find out later, but I had no idea this was a shoot or a work. 
This was very well done because I, I thought legit Bam was hurt. I really did. He's a heavy set guy. He could have suffered a heart attack. I know. And of course, in NXT, the women's champion, Roxanne Perez, when she passed out on TV, you know, people still wondering if that was a shoot or a work. So I just saw a YouTube clip of that before watching Mayhem. So I see that and I go, holy shit. This is fucked up. That's late. Now, of course, we find out later. I don't want to jump ahead here. So I'll just say this was five minutes and 41 seconds. Our lives. We can't get back. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Lance Storm with Major Guns defends the title against General Rection. Lance tried to save this. Am I wrong? He did try to save this, right? Yes, to a degree. Yes. So here's the thing with Bill DeMont. Bill DeMont is a good worker, but a terrible gimmick. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. So, I mean, they did okay. This was, uh, again, it's WCW in 2000. This is not the worst thing ever, but it's not the best thing ever either. Yeah. Wrestling. Now, basically, Lance Storm comes out and he does the whole, if I can be serious for a minute, it's like, dear God, I don't have enough breadcrumbs to get home. Lance Storm was never a good promo. Ever. <laughs> He said, Ric Flair has stated that tonight is the last match between Rection and myself, which is why I'm out here against doctor's orders. I am so eager to put those MIA clowns behind me. I'm willing to risk my own personal health. Rection always talks about fighting through concussions and bad knees. I'm out here with four cracked ribs and a bulging disc in my back. I'm not making excuses and I'm not complaining about it. Rection, I've taken your best friend. I've taken your girl. I've taken the title. The only thing I haven't taken from you is your country, and that's because I don't want it. Why would I? I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Show some respect and rise for the playing of the Canadian National Anthem. Dear God. So we have to sit through this crap. Now, as this is happening, Bam Bam Bigelow is being carried out on a stretcher. Now, they address this during the show. That they said normally in a wrestling show, they would never they would never do this. But because there's a pay-per-view and there's time constraints, they have to. Which is understandable. Because if you go over on a pay-per-view, there's fines for that. Plus, it will shut off the air. Like it did at Halloween Havoc 98 between the Goldberg DDP match, which pissed off everybody. They're trying to, ever since then, they've been strict on their time restraints. Which, of course, begs the question, why the fuck are there so many promos in this pay-per-view? So annoyed. But anyway, Bam Bam Bigelow, at one point, jumped off the stretcher and attacked Rection before the match. So it turns out it was a work. Now, I knew something was up because as Rection was walking to the ring, I saw Bam Bam Bigelow bend his knee on the stretcher. So I could tell he was trying to get off. So if the cameraman had just waited a few more seconds, or no, if Bam had just waited a few more seconds for the cameraman to move, maybe then it wouldn't have been a shocking. But as soon as I saw that knee come up, I'm like, oh, some shit's about to happen. Uh, but of course, the casual fans, y'all didn't catch that. Now, Lance nope. did a great job working the left leg and knee of Rection. That pretty much sums up this entire match. That's 98% of the match is Lance working the leg. That's it. Not much else is happening in this match. Lance's super kick. Rection hit a power slam. Finally something different in this match. Then he hits a moonsault, but only his head touched Lance. And I'm not sure if that's a botch or not. Is that a botch? Yes. Yeah, I can figure that. Because I'm like, usually when you do a moonsault, it's body to body. Chest on chest, stomach on stomach. Instead, his head just hits. So he overshoots it. But still gets the win and becomes the new United States champion. And the whole damn thing was 6 minutes and 25 seconds. Lance Storm basically carried this match. Not a lot of interesting shit happened. And it was just there. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. 
Got a good one here. We got Jeff Jarrett goes one-on-one -on -one against Buff Bagwell. Vinny only says this is good because he's been on Buff Bagwell's nuts since 2020. 2021 to be exact and it's probably match of the night honestly <laughs> yeah okay so jeff jarrett comes out and he goes listen up you milwaukee slap nuts the chosen one yes. is a little something greatest to... promo ever yes the chosen one is a little this something... is the first time he said slap nuts isn't it i don't think so but we'll have to check uh but he goes the chosen one is a little something to say about the stunt bagwell tried to pull in the back he goes, you see, Buff, I realize we're only dealing with a few brain cells. Hell, just take a look at you and your damn hat. Need I say more? You thought you were going to pull a fast one by smashing my guitars in the back. Well, Bagwell, what separates me, the stupid star, from the slap ass like you? And he's trying to say superstar, but he accidentally said stupid star, and the crowd is calling him out on it. He had a because because wrestling he had a sick vicious moment um and then he goes bagwell it's like this when you're the chosen one when you have all the stroke around here you come prepared for anything and everything and let's just say i came prepared so once again i'm gonna prove to the whole world that you ain't the stuff and you're just a big damn goof so choke on that bagwell so then all of a sudden now buff comes out to the ring and buff's doing his thing you know he's coming down the ring doing the strut with the pyro and then buff does his thing where he talks into the camera and the cameraman or whoever's in the truck starts panning out to the fans and the signs they then cut back to Buff he says don't take the camera off me while I'm talking and starts laughing so Buff's staying in character but I know for a fact he wants to slap whoever's in the production truck because apparently those slap nuts forgot Buff talks into the camera you don't take the camera off of Buff Bagwell he's been here in WCW since 19 he trained in 90, then he got 91 right around that time he's on TV. And I think 91 was when he won Rookie of the Year. But he's been here long enough where you guys know his fucking gimmick. He talks into the camera as he's coming to the ring. You don't pan to somebody else when Bagwell gets up close to the camera. Because that's his shtick. When you do that, you're fucking with a wrestler's gimmick, thus fucking with how he makes money. If someone's talking into the camera, you focus on them. I could give a fuck less who's in the goddamn crowd, and I bet you everybody watching the pay-per-view feels the same way. The only people that are looking in the crowd are friends and family members of someone at the show to go, I wonder if I can see my boy or in, on TV in the stands and la la la. Nobody else gives a fuck. God, people are dumb. You need further proof WCW's out of touch and in the toilet? There was your proof right there. And then we get to the ring. Buff's in the ring with Jared. He flips him off. Doesn't shock me. I've seen Buff give the finger many a time. Uh, Buff then nails it back. <laughs> I bet you have. Oh, God, yes. I <laughs> there was this one time riding in the car. <laughs> oh, it was more than one time. But anyway. There was these six times riding in the car. <laughs> Yeah, so at one point, uh, Buff nails a Bagwell bomb. I love seeing something different from him. Wasn't used Is that to what that was? Yeah. Well, that's what they called it. They called it a Bagwell bomb. Like he was doing like the Vader bomb and stuff. Yeah, okay. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, okay. Um, so Buff then hits him with a foam guitar and then strangles him with a cord. Jarrett responds with chair shots. And I'm thinking, how 
has no one been DQ'd? The ref is just fucking standing there watching until Wrestling. he brought it in, and he waits till he brings it in the ring to go, no, 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 you can't use a chair. Like, does WWE have a new rule that DQs only happen in the ring? That's the new policy that I didn't hear about? That, that makes no fucking sense to me. Then again, that's an overall theme of a lot of these matches where almost all of them are no disqualification nowadays, but no one's mentioning the no DQ. It's just self-explanatory. Apparently. Now, Bub hit the double arm DDT, which I thought was great because I seen him use that as a finisher on the indies a lot. Because, you know, after a certain point, he stopped doing the blockbuster as he got up in age. Um, but I have seen him use a double arm DDT as a finish in a lot of his matches. At least the ones that I commentated. Um, Buff missed the blockbuster and landed on his shoulder. Never seen him miss that move before, so I thought that was odd. David Flair comes in with a chair and DDTs Jarrett onto it. David Flair, as I like to call him, the Prince of Nepotism. Uh, Jarrett rolled through the blockbuster into a pin for a two count, which I thought should have been the finish if Jeff Jarrett was going to go over. Uh, Jeff misses a crossbody, falls out of the ring, and then pulls a the guitar out of the ring. Hits him in the injured shoulder for the win. Overall, great match. Back and forth. Everyone was working properly. This was one of the better matches of the night. Just for the simple fact that you had two guys who knew how to work and didn't need fuckery to get over. Really, my biggest complaint was the fact that the shit they should have been DQ'd for. And, of course, it was 11 minutes and 10 seconds. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the WCW Tag Team Titles. The perfect event. Defend the titles against the Insiders. Yes, the Insiders. Why? What led up to the two of them teaming up? Do you remember? Uh, I think they mentioned that. I think um, Kevin Nash was dealing with the Natural Born Thrillers. He decided to get himself a tag partner, but he couldn't. But apparently, they were saying that Scott Hall was nowhere to be found. So DDP came out, attacked, then hit the diamond cutter, and then Nash challenged them for the tag belts. Alrighty then. Okay. Yes. <sighs> Can you tell this was clunky at points? At some points. Yes. Could you tell it was forced? There was one moment. Um, okay. Well, I'm not the only one, so go ahead. Yes. So Mike Sanders goes out for commentary, and the rest of the Natural Born Phillies come out in security uniforms and are appointed to be security by Mike, who is the commissioner of WCW. So Ric Flair is the CEO. Mike Sanders is the commissioner. So he thought, I'm going to have my guys out there as security guards so they don't ha they can't be banned from ringside. Again, trying to work the loophole. Now, of course, Ric Flair comes out with the real security, escorts Natural Born Phillies out of the building, but can't kick out Mike Sanders because he got a manager's license, which I thought was a great loophole. Because it, it's like, hey, can't get rid of me, Flair. Ha ha. So I like that. Now, Kevin and Chipolombo start things off. Mark Madden says Kevin Mash might only have three moves, but they all hurt like hell. Um, another thing we agree on. Um, then, of course, DDP gets tagged in at one point and knocks Stasiak off the apron, who gets back up and gets tagged in. Dallas and Nash work great together as a team. Now, people forget they have shoot history with each other. DDP and Nash were great for friends outside of the ring for a shoot. Most people don't know that because their interaction in the ring were back when Nash was in the NWO. You know, it's because of their friendship they allowed DDP to be the one to diamond cut them in New Orleans and be the first one to really stick it to the NWO. They did that to get Dallas over because he's a friend of theirs and they felt he deserved a right. better push. Now, DDP pulls down Stasiak's pants. He pauses and then pulls him back up and then sits down on Dallas for a two count. Here's my clunky question. Why was DDP laying there for so long he wasn't knocked out? That looked dumb to me. Like, Do you really want me to answer that? Uh, Yeah. The short answer is, at that point in time, Dallas was blown up. 
Okay. Cause that, cause I'm just sitting there like, dude, you're not knocked out. You're not unconscious. Why are you sitting there waiting for him to pull his pants up and do a spot? Like just because he was waiting for the spot because DDP is notorious for that shit. Yeah. I'm like, that's ridiculous. That was okay. Now DDP at the diamond cutter on Palumbo. Nash is a jack knife powerbomb stays yet. They go for the cover, but Sanders pulls the referee out. DDP hits Sanders with a diamond cutter. Nash covers him again. And the rest slides back in for the three count. Awkward finish. I'm going to be honest. I thought that was an awkward finish. Why do they need to do that? Why not just have the Diamond Cutter Powerbomb end the match? Because at this point, the inmates are running the asylum. Pretty much, because that was an unnecessary spot. You didn't need it. You didn't need that extra spot from Mike Sanders. He didn't need to get his shit in. So, if you wanted to do an interference spot, he should have did it earlier in the match. This match was 14 minutes and 55 seconds. Nash and Dallas are the tag team champions. We now move on to the next match of the evening. This is an interesting one. We got Goldberg one-on-one against Lex Luger. It sucked. <laughs> There's not a lot I can say about this. This is a blown up, no good, worthless shell of a human being versus a gentleman who was thrusted into the spotlight way before he was ready for it. He did a good job doing what he needed to do to get over, but Goldberg was not ready for the position he was in against Honestly, a walking corpse. Yeah, this is one of those matches where if Goldberg loses, he's forced to leave WCW. Now, the reason for that is because Russo said that Goldberg had to break his record in order to get rid of the leave WCW stipulation. This applied to all his matches. Now, for the modern wrestling fans out there, this is kind of similar to what Ric Flair went through at WrestleMania 24, which obviously we'll talk about at a much later date. Yeah, um, yeah yes, yes. And 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 obviously we're going to talk about that as Mr. Boudreaux finishes this pay-per-view review. I've been the Gator, and I'll see you later. Thank you very much. Adios. So basically how this works is Ric Flair was going through this storyline phase where he said, I will never retire. He wanted to keep wrestling forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, which we thought was a gimmick. Turns out it was real. Now, Vince came out and said, I got no problem with that, Rick. I love for you to wrestle forever as long as you keep winning. So he basically said, the next time you lose a match, your career is over. Every time Ric Flair wrestled a match, he had to win. And he, and he was wrestling big names. And they made it believable every time. And then ultimately they decided to let Shawn Michaels be the guy to run through everybody. No, ultimately they allowed Shawn Michaels to be the guy to beat Ric Flair and retire him. So with this kind of stipulation, they were doing the same thing because as we know, Goldberg had an undefeated streak of like 174, 75, 76, around that number. And he was basically undefeated until he lost to Kevin Nash. Now Goldberg decided to start his streak, to start a streak all over again and try to break it. So he was trying to win every single match he was in. So basically Russo said that if you, but from now until you break that, your old streak, if you lose a match, you're out of here. So to do that. Now, we can't really hear the intro over the cackling announcers, which is an ongoing problem throughout the show, especially with the promos. Mark Madden does not know when to shut the fuck up. Now, because we're supposed to give lessons on this, as a commentator, let me give a lesson to everybody out there. If the wrestler is talking, you don't. If the ring announcer is announcing, you don't speak. Okay? If a ring announcer is talking, if a wrestler is talking, if two people in a backstage segment are talking, you need to be at that broadcast table pouring yourself a nice tall glass of shut the fuck up. Nobody gives a fuck 
what you have to say. If I can't hear the ring announcer over you, you are a problem. If I can't hear the wrestler cutting the promo over you, you are a problem. Now, if there's a pause in between and you want to say something, go ahead. But once they speak, you shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. It is so fucking annoying. And I see commentators do it a lot. It's stupid. This is why Mark Madden was so god-fucking-awful. Because he constantly talked over everybody. He was an obnoxious piece of shit, and I'm glad he doesn't commentate anymore. Now, they start the match. Goldberg works the arm. Yes, Goldberg can work, Marks. That's what I wrote here. Because basically, this is the type of match where people need to learn that even though Goldberg in WWE did only spears and jackhammers, in the early days of his career, he did other moves. When he came back, he did the spear and the jackhammer because that was what he wanted to do because those were his two main signature moves and that's all he had to do entertain the crowd. He didn't have to do all that crazy shit anymore. But yes, Goldberg has worked. Now Lex has a forearm shot which is brutal because of the metal rod in his arm, which we're going to talk more about that on another review. I'm going to save that for later. But because they has that metal rod in his arm from many years ago, anytime he does a forearm shot, it hurts. And they sell. Now, Mark Madden mentions Luger stays near the ropes to prevent the spear. This is the only logical comment he has made all night. That is it. This was Mark Madden's shining moment in this whole fucking pay-per-view. Now, Goldberg does an impressive power slam and multiple punches on the ground, like a ground and pound, which looked great. He goes for the spear, but Luger pulls the ref in front of him, and they both get speared. Goldberg hits the jackhammer, and a second ref ran out to count the fall. Now, I love that a ref came out right away, because it looks more realistic. Instead of just having people sit there forever, and a referee go, Oh, wait, I gotta run out there! No, it's boom. This guy got knocked out. Boom. One, two, three. Let's end this as fast as humanly possible because we don't need to be sitting around for long. It didn't need to be a long match, and it wasn't a long match. It was five minutes and 53 seconds, and it did exactly what it needed to do. And it was a good match between these two guys who know how to old school work. It was very well done. On that note, we move on to the main event of the evening for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in a straight jacket caged heat match. Booker T defends the title against Scott Steiner with Medeja. Now, this is straight jacket cage heat match. Michael Buffer does not explain the rules of this match at all. That I did not like. See, whenever there is a stipulation match, I don't care if it's a stipulation that's been done a thousand times or if it's something being done for the first time ever. The ring announcer's job is to explain to the audience what this match is. Even if nobody explains it leading up to the match or even if they explain Explain it a thousand times. The ring announcer's job is to educate the audience on what the fuck we're about to see. And the fact that Michael Buffer did not do that is a problem. That is a botch on his part. It's a botch on the company's part if they didn't bother to tell him. And Michael Buffer should have cared enough about his job to track somebody down and go, what the fuck does this mean? Because as an announcer, that's what I do. I am the type of person, whenever I've done ring announcing, I look for shit. I'm looking for information. When I'm ring announcing, that's all the fuck I care about is getting everybody's information. I could give a fuck less about anything else on the show when I'm ring announcing. I need to know where you're from, how much you weigh, what do you want me to call you? And find that out from everybody on the roster. Write their shit down. Find out who's who, who's coming out first, whatever the fuck. 
and do what needs to be done so I can properly introduce the wrestler that's coming to the ring. We're having a match. What the fuck's going to happen here? What special stipulation do I need to know? You need, and I will say this to every promoter, you need to clue in your ring announcers on what's going on. I don't give a fuck how many things you have on your plate that day. If you want to be the promoter, if you want to be the boss, if you want to be the head guy in charge, you need to take that initiative. Or find somebody and tell them the information. Say, let the ring announcer know this. You have to educate everyone on what's going on. You need to be hands-on with fucking everything if you're a promoter. Otherwise, don't call yourself one. If you're handing out jobs to 50 other people and you're just sitting on your ass, you ain't much of a boss. Now, I also love that Buff, that Michael Buffer finished his intro on Booker even though Steiner started attacking him the second he entered the cage. I like that. He didn't just stop talking. He finished what he had to say and he said it. I like that. Now, the cage looks like, this looks like a Hell in a Cell match, basically. This is a Hell in a Cell match. Further proof that Russo is in the building. Because he's trying to put WWE-esque shit in a WCW setting. Which doesn't always process over. Because back then, the wrestling fans were different. It's not like today, where every wrestler loves every, where every wrestling fan loves every fucking company. That's not the case here. They were two different territories, two different mindsets. So not everything from WWE is going to transfer over to WCW. Hell, not every WCW fan defended the WWE when they bought it. And not every WCW person was welcome in the WWE locker room when they got up there. So Scott slits while going for the jacket, but regains his footing and grabs it while Booker brings him down with an electric chair drop. Booker tries to put the straight jacket on him and the commentators say, just pin him. Okay, if the jacket isn't part of the finish, then why the fuck is it there? That is my biggest gripe with this whole fucking match. No one explains the stipulations. No one explains what's going on. And to top it all off, you have a straight jacket that does fucking nothing except hang there. Except hang there. Then why have it if it's not part of the finish? Why is it part of the match? You might as well have just had somebody fucking bring it in. Or have it, or someone hide it underneath the ring and someone grabs it or someone interferes and brings it in. Why already have it hanging above the ring for somebody to grab if it has no bearing on the finish? Why? It makes no fucking sense. So Booker then attacks him with chair shots. Steiner rips the sleeves off the jacket. He then takes it off. So again, making it a waste of time. He hits the clothesline, locks in the Steiner recliner. Booker gets up and slams him into the ropes. Steiner goes to the double axe handle. And Booker counters with the bookend for a two count. Scott hits a full Nelson powerbomb. And then locks in the Steiner recliner again. And Booker passes out. Steiner takes out Booker's legs with a chair and knocks out a ref who tries to stop him. So Booker obviously passes out. Scott's, so it's a technical submission. It makes Booker T look strong, even in defeat. And Scott Steiner becomes a WCW World Heavyweight Champion, which Scott Steiner definitely deserves to be world champion. He's deserved it for a very long time. The fact that it's taken him this long to get a title, to get the world title, is goddamn ridiculous. The fact that it's the only time he's been world champion is goddamn ridiculous. Steiner deserved a couple title reigns in WWE and definitely deserved it in WCW. He was a top guy and had every right to be treated that way. Every right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was this match. It was 13 minutes and 10 seconds long. Uh, Obviously, overall, the Mayhem pay-per-view was... Yeah, it's fucked up moments, but it reminds everybody why the 2000s and WCW were fucking crazy. 
fact, this is second to last pay-per-view of the year 2000. And uh, Gator would have been here to share his thoughts, but he had to leave to go uh, babysit the children. Again, the children fucking with my show. Gator once again making a promise that he has to back out on. It's always fuckery when I work with this guy. Hopefully things will be better on the next one. I doubt it. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude our review of WWE Mayhem 2000. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, make sure you guys uh, follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Um, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. And also, you can follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. Come and join us for the biggest party of the summer. Also, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and a special project in the works. You can also support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is 99 cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate that which is for a mere $9.99 10 per month same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States ever since sold to the Peacock got nowhere to put that $9.99 $10.99 bring it over here we got better content in the network and unlike All Elite Wrestling we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want you get the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay and the best part is all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity we used to upgrade our equipment we used to bring in bigger name guests pay the bills and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. If you got a favorite co-host and believes they're to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been the Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all. Goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.